Hi, my name is Casey White. I'm sponsored by Dismania, and you're listening to the Chain Clankers Podcast. You're listening to the Chain Clankers Podcast with your hosts, Quinn Ferris and Horatio Gonzalez. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Chain Clankers. What is going on, everyone? Welcome into the Chain Clankers podcast. I am your host, Quentin Ferris, here, joined as always by Horatio Gonzalez. Got a fantastic episode today. We're sitting down with Discmania's own Casey White. You heard him in the intro. We've been trying to talk to Casey for a little bit. Unfortunately, just with the tour, we weren't able to, but we finally were able to have a fantastic conversation with the guy today. Uh, I know I really enjoyed our conversation. I loved what we had to talk about. I think it really will stimulate your mind and will make you think about some things in disc golf that you might not have thought about before. Horatio, would you like to maybe elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much to Casey to reach out. I know everyone on tour is super busy. Uh, that's kind of their life and giving us, you know, just a young little uh, podcast a chance and coming on, giving us his time. Thank you so much for that. It means a ton. Um, but this episode is really cool because we got uh, Casey let us in kind of on his life, on his uh, past, and we got to ask him some kind of personal questions just about tour life, about financials the stuff that I feel like a lot of people don't talk about and that a lot of younger players kind of need to hear that are getting really hooked on this game. And they're like at a point where they're maybe competing in their local leagues and maybe they want to make it a career. But of course society, you know, is go to college, go to college, go to college. And maybe they're in a, uh, between two places, they don't know what to do. And I think Casey Watt is a great example of, how he kind of uh, went on this path, on this journey, and how he's being successful now. But it's not for everyone. And he talks about that and just kind of depends on what your priorities are, what your goals are. And you're just going to have to listen. It's a really good episode. It's a little longer than what we usually do. But it was a lot of fun. And I'm really excited for you guys to get it. Uh, But further ado, run it. What is going on, everyone? Welcome into the Chain Clankers podcast. Man, do we have a special interview for you guys today. Today, we're going to be sitting down with Casey White, as you heard in the intro, sponsored by Disc Mania. You've definitely seen him on the social medias. You've seen him on Instagram. You've seen him on YouTube. You've seen him out there on the course, absolutely killing it, tournament in and tournament out. Super excited to talk to Casey. Casey, how are we doing today, man? I'm doing great. I uh, am up in northern Minnesota, just hanging out and preparing for USTGC. Hell yeah, man. Can't wait to watch you there. Hoping for some big things to come. It, you know, super excited to watch your game because we were talking a little bit before uh, we got started here, you know, just how young you are and how accomplished you've already been. And of course, we're going to get into it later. Uh, we're, you and I, we're literally only split by about a year, year and a half, something in age. So it's just incredible to watch someone who is at least close to my age be so talented, be so good. So I feel as though there's going to be a ton for the listeners to be able to learn from this podcast episode. We got a great one lined up. So Casey, let's just go ahead and let's take us all the way back to the beginning clearly you were someone who was playing before COVID happened so when did you first start playing disc golf what got you into disc golf okay so should I should I start with my first disc golf round or just my first fascination with the frisbee let's go all the way back fascination yeah all the way back okay so the the earliest memory I can think of for myself is having a fascination with just this the act of throwing a frisbee. 
was uh, in summer of 2010. Every summer with my family, we would go up to uh, Moosehead Lake in northern Maine. And that was our camp that we'd go to every year. And one year, my the campground had a, a new guy working there, and his name was Zach. He was kind of an odd, oddball guy. I mean, he was really cool, but he wore a, a winter hat and a flannel in the middle of the summer. Golly. And, uh, and I remember one night we were just all hanging out in the field, and he had just a stack of, like, plastic Frisbees, like, you know, all kinds of different ones. Not, not any sort of disc golf, anything, just Frisbees. And he just would chuck them all the way across the field, and he'd just be like, I'm going to throw this one over the house. And I was just like, I, I was ready to watch, you know. What it, <laughs> and and it, I remember just that, so watching that, it was like the nothing more I wanted to do but just throw a Frisbee. And it was just like, he taught me how to do a skip shot and like to throw, I don't know, just any any kind of Frisbee in any way. Like he taught me all the different like grips, like how the ultimate players have all the different yeah. ways of Frisbee. And uh, after that, I remember I I hung on to this one blue frisbee that i bought at a store probably not too long after that and i brought it everywhere i went whether it was at a different campground with my cousins or anything like that or if i was just going to hang out with my friends for at their house for the weekend i always had that with me in case anybody wanted to play frisbee because i was never one of the kids that didn't know how to throw a frisbee you know how there's people out there that say like oh i have no idea how to throw a frisbee like i i just i'm not capable i always knew how but i never <laughs> thought of anything as like a succession for me but my dad and I love to play catch. So it's disc golf started with me for my dad and I, we would just chuck a Frisbee back and forth all day, all night in my front yard. And I mean, my front yard's probably like 70 feet across. So it was nothing too bad, but of course my dad heard of it and he knew about it. I don't know why we didn't start earlier, but in August of 2012, he was just like, Hey, why don't we, go and play some frisbee golf and i was like i have no idea what that is but like sure so he looked up and we just got some uh, a couple of discs from dick sporting goods his was a dx beast and mine was a champion beast and then nice. we headed to my local course which is still my home courses day devon's disc golf in uh in devon's massachusetts and the first round we ever played we actually pulled in the parking lot and we each had our disc and we find these guys in the parking lot and we say, Hey, we're looking for the disc golf course. And they point us in the direction of the hole one. And they say, you're going to walk all the way until you see the practice basket on the right. And the path is going to be on your left. And you're going to walk a couple hundred feet down and you'll find hole one's tee pad. So we go start walking down this path and we see, uh, we see a, like a well, like well cut trail to our left. So we just start walking on that path. So he said, Oh, this must be it. We're walking for, I don't even know how long. We're, and I'm like, oh, this guy has way off. It's not, not a couple hundred feet. We get all the way down there and we're like, we finally find a basket. We're like, oh, that must be the practice basket right there. So then we just keep walking, you know, it should be right up here. And then we look to our right a couple hundred feet down and then there's another one. And it's like, okay, that's probably not what we're, where we're at. So we walk up the fairway of that hole and it turns out we were on hole 12. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> a couple holes. And this, this course, my home course is, uh, it's very mountainous, tons of rocks, tons of trees, like tons of yeah. elevation changes. Like it's not really your average park course, you might say. So we just backtrack to the back nine. So we find hole 10 and our round just was going to be the back nine. We end up finishing the round, you know, I'm just doing like a, a chop step, little one hand, I don't know, just like a nice little spin of a backhand. It was yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. And uh, my dad had like a little bit of a run up, but since he had the DX plastic, he was able to get a little more flight out of the disc. And uh, 
I, at the end of the round, we end up finding this guy because we're on hole 18 and hole one's basket's pretty close to hole 18. We find this guy that we go, oh, crap, this must be what you guys are talking about. This, this is hole one. And he's like, oh, yeah. And he told us, like, how where we went wrong. And we told him how we went down the wrong path and everything. But this guy, he we look at him and he's got, like, he's like the king. He's got eight discs. <laughs> He's got a bag of discs, so it's like, holy man, like, this guy's into this sport, you know? Yeah. And he talks all about leagues and everything and, like, how sport kind of works and that there's competition and whatnot. And that was just our first time. So after that, it kind of turned into my dad and I's thing that after work, I worked with my dad. Uh, he's a plumber, and I still kind of work with, with him to this day. But uh, we would get out of work at 7 p.m. on a summer night, and then we'd just say, hey, you want to go throw a couple holes before it gets dark? And we'd just go and play as many holes as we could until we, it got dark, and then that was just kind of our thing. And uh, that was the end of the summer in 2012. I got a couple of my buddies to throw, but nothing nothing too serious, like only a couple of discs, not not anything like we didn't even have a putter. And then we actually lent out our discs to our friend, and we never saw him again because he lost him or didn't know where he put him or anything. Oh, man. Damn. For a year and a half, we had nothing bringing us out to the course to keep playing. So the, uh, from October 2012, I did not play another round of disc golf until April 2014. Oh, wow. And April 2014, my friends over that uh, time period collected some discs for themselves, and we went to the course, and we each grabbed one, you know. It was probably a driver of some kind. And we show up to my course, my home course, the same one. And there's, turns out there's a tournament going on. So we're like, oh, can we not play the course? Is the, is the course closed? And they go, oh, well, it's closed on the hill. But we just built this new course called the General. So there's two separate courses on the property. And this was like brand new to the, to the community. The course was just built that fall. So we're thinking, oh, if the first course we played is called the Hill, this one must, the general must be a little more friendly. Well, no, it's just, it's the same thing. And it's pretty, it's pretty tough, especially uh, when it was a brand new course in its infancy, it was definitely rough, but we didn't care. We were just out there having fun. Like there was yeah. no competition at all. But uh, that's right when the pro shop opened down at the, it's right off of the disc golf course, actually. There's like an intersection off of holes 12 and 13 that you can actually walk in the back door of the pro shop. So my dad and I, after that round, we went in and got ourselves some discs. And my dad and I used to play match play. So, like, we didn't really keep score or anything, but we would just yeah. keep it up. I beat you on that hole, you beat me on this hole, and we'd count up the points of who won. And he beat me every time we played with one disc. But as soon as I bought the first three discs set for myself, he never, he never beat me again. I beat him every single round after that. And it's kind of funny because my dad still talks about that to this day. He tells everybody like, oh, yeah, I could beat him with one disc. But now it, I got no chance all that. Like, he loves to talk about that. But April 2014 was the first, like, taste of, like, when I really started to kind of get the, the cra mm -hmm. craze for it. Like, that's what I wanted to do all the time. Yeah. And I remember those same friends that I would hang out with. And every once in a while, they'd come out and play some disc golf with us. I was hanging out with them one time. We were like playing video games or something. And I was all excited because my dad was going to come pick me up and we were going to go play disc golf. And I was like, Hey, my dad's going to come pick us up. You guys want to go play disc golf? And they were just kind of like, mm, nah. And I was like, okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to play some disc golf. And yeah, after that, that was the point in my life that I realized that disc golf was kind of what I wanted to do instead of anything else. Nothing like, 
absolutely no expectations on anything. It's just that I knew that that's what I had fun doing and I yeah. didn't want to stop. Yeah. And my first three disc set was a, uh, I bought in that pro shop was a starlight Valkyrie an X buzz and a soft magnet. Okay. All right. Yeah. Pretty solid set. Yeah. Not too bad. And, uh, there was always some, some discs that come in and out and like they had like a trade in bin. If you had like a premium plastic disc, you could trade it in for a, a disc of similar value and you could take that one out. So like, I remember I eventually traded the starlight Valkyrie for like a champion Valkyrie that was like not as lightweight and stuff like that. So, yeah, but I don't know. That's that very start to my obsession with the sport for sure. So that's uh, so we're looking at 2014 there. So yep. when did, when did you start taking it seriously? So you're playing with three discs, maybe yep. with your dad, when do you so, go into starting to play it seriously? You're really so, putting time and effort into it. Over the summer of 2014, my local pro shop, I was friends with the guy, with the owner and the guy who ran the shop. And they knew my, me and my dad very well. We were in there all the time. And my dad would love to talk to them. And we'd talk all about our rounds with them and stuff like that. And they'd help me buy some discs. Like they'd give me advice on what discs to try and stuff like that. And uh, they actually told me that they were hosting a trilogy challenge. You know, the trilogy challenge mm -hmm. of three. Yeah. So they to, they wanted me to play in this event. But I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm like. I don't know if I'm ready to do that or anything like that. And uh, I had the little dynamic cadet side bag. So it held like eight to ten discs, you know. Yeah. And, uh, they, they told me that they would pay for me to play in the event because they wanted me to play it that bad. So my oh, wow. dad was like, go do it go for it yeah so i ended up playing the event and i i won the rec division so nice. i got some discs out of it. yeah so that was my first ever competitive round of disc golf that was july 2014 and then after that i won some discs in that event and uh i got a grip bag the the, the grip c so the, the, the skinny grip bag you know it holds probably 14 to 18 discs maybe yeah and then and I was like, that's when I knew I was like into the sport. You know, you have like a backpack bag. Like yeah. that's a big purchase for me as a kid going into my freshman year of high school. Like I didn't really have that much money, but I mean, one of those bags, it's like almost 200 bucks. And Where, over the winter of after, oh, you can go ahead. I was going to say your first year of high school, did you have other buddies playing or were you kind of like an outsider Nah, yeah, that was that was kind of just my thing. Like my friends and I, we played when we first started, but as soon as I started playing, like more and more, my friends played less and less, and I just yeah. found myself separating myself from them as as time went on because it's just that was just what I did, and it just wasn't something that they did all the time. So uh, especially, so my freshman year was uh, yeah, twenty fourteen to twenty fifteen. And I didn't play much in the winter that year because I just didn't play in cold weather. I just didn't know that you were supposed to or anything like that. So I picked it up again in, in 2015 spring and I played baseball that spring in my freshman year. I was on the, I was on JV baseball, like not that big of a deal. And I was just, I was just there to have fun. I didn't care. I wasn't taking it too seriously. If I struck out, I'd smile and laugh at myself. Like I'd be like, Oh geez. Like yeah. you're dumb and they my friends would give me a bunch of crap for it and it's like dude like i don't care that i struck out like it's it's funny i swung and missed and i'm laughing yeah. at myself like that's funny yeah 
and they would get mad because I didn't take it seriously. So I was like, you know, whatever. I don't I'm gonna care. I'm gonna go play disc golf. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. That was at the end of my freshman year, and that was when I at the end of my freshman year, it was like the last week of school was my first ever Wednesday night league. And after my Wednesday night league, that was my first like competitive singles for, yeah. a, for a round like that. And then I ended up playing a C tier. I didn't have a PDJ membership, but I played a C tier at my home course on the general at, at the end of June, 2015. And I, I didn't play well, but you know, I was, Oh, I was so nervous. Yeah. I, it's so seriously you know like it's not like I was getting mad at myself but I was just I just cared so much because yeah. that was just it was it felt like my Super Bowl you know PDG. <laughs> <laughs> but that was yeah June 20th 2015 was my first ever PDJ tournament nice so I guess then you know obviously playing in some tournaments you know you've had some success what I guess kind of was that moment or maybe that tournament or something like that where you're like, you know what? I am going to get my PDGA number. I, I am going to try to do more tournaments. And then, you know, going from there, then I guess what was kind of that thing that clicked in your head that was yeah. like, you know what? I can go pro. I can get to the yeah. highest level. Yeah. So I, I always, as I was coming up as a young guy, I mean, I would, I could throw a decent amount. I couldn't throw like super far, but like I'd make the old guys go like, oh, wow, look at this little young guy throwing this disc like further than I can, you know, but yeah. I was nothing impressed, like nothing that was like mind blowing, but uh, I didn't play a course that wasn't my home course, Devon's for a full year. I, the first time I ever played a course away from my home course was July, 2015. Because it was, my mom would just drive me five minutes down the road and drop me off. And she wasn't yeah. going to drive me any further. Yeah. Right. So that's just what I did. <laughs> Either yeah. that or I rode my And uh, so we played a course in Sturbridge, Massachusetts, which is actually not there anymore. It's completely redesigned. But Highland Orchard in Sturbridge, Massachusetts. We all drove down there in a, in a big group for my friend Mark, who one of the ones who owned the pro shop. It was his birthday. And I ended up playing a tournament at that course at the end of the month because my friend Corey was signed up and he told me he'd give me a ride. So I was like, all right, I can get a ride. I'll play. Yeah. Hell yeah. And so at that tournament, somebody asked me like, Oh, do you have a PDJ number? He was on my cart. I'm actually friends with him to this day. His name is Mike Fanoof. And he says like, Oh, well, if you're playing tournaments, you're already losing money because you pay 10 bucks if you're not a member. But yeah. then I remember another guy in my card was like, no, nah, don't worry about it. Like you like get a little better. And then you want to have like a good rating and stuff. So I didn't really like, I didn't take any of that to heart or think anything too hard on it, but I played a couple tournaments in 2015, like PDJ. So that the start of 2016 season, I was like, all right, I'm going to play tournaments this year. I'm going to sign up for PDGA. Yeah. And then 2016, I started out, uh, I didn't really know my place, even though I was, I knew like the people that I could beat at like league and stuff. And I knew some people around the tournament scene. I played AM2 because I was just like, I don't know. I'll just keep going with this AM2 thing because that's what I was playing before when I was playing unsanctioned or I was playing without my PDJ membership. Yeah. And I, the first tournament round I ever played was uh, May 7th or the first PDJ rated round that I ever played was May 7th, 2016. It was at my other home course, Cogsall Park in Fitchburg. And it's to this day, the worst rated round I have played. It was an 808 rated round. Wow. And I was just the same thing. I was just so nervous and I just cared so much that I just didn't really know what to do with myself. Yeah. 
uh, that next weekend, actually. So I played AM2. I didn't place very well, obviously. But the next weekend, I played a tournament at Maple Hill. I mm. was supposed to caddy for my friend Michelle because it was a women's global event, but it was like a women's global event combined with a, a men's C tier. So it was kind of like a hybrid tournament. Okay. And turns out that when I showed up to caddy, there was spots open in the event. So Mike Solt, the TD from Pennsylvania, he was like, hey, do you, do you want to play? And I was like, sure. And he asked me in front of uh, the whole like tournament, whatever you call it, tournament central, like players meeting. He was like, what division do you want to play? And I was like thinking to myself, like, I don't know. I, like, I was like, M1. Like, I'll play M1. So I'm yeah. stepping up, like, not even knowing why, but I just did it for, for who knows why, but I was ready. And I, you want to think I was nervous that I, in AM2, I was definitely nervous stepping up to AM1. And I, I shot okay the first round that I got on lead card. It wasn't a big field, but I was playing against my buddy Brian Lake. And actually, at the end of the second round, I had a putt to tie for the win. And I've never been anything close to a position for anything like that before. Yeah. And it was like probably a 30 foot and I completely airmailed the putt. And I was just like, wow, that was, you know, that was quite the experience. And, and I just remember knowing that if I ever had another putt like that, then I could not miss like the way I did. And it was just something that kind of stuck with me after that. And I was like, okay, maybe, maybe I am like better than I actually know I am. So am one for the rest of 2016 didn't do anything incredible like i was happy with the top five and uh i got my first am one win in september 2016 and i won by seven strokes and that was pretty pretty pivotal for me because i was you know just young and not really like not really too hard on myself but obviously i just wanted to do well when i played tournaments and that felt like that was when i wanted to do something a lot more i mean i still had no idea because all the whole time i'm doing all this all i'm doing is i'm doing what i want to do and that's just playing disc golf and playing tournaments on the weekends because i'm just having fun i have no intention i have no sight for my future i'm still in high school so i'm just playing when i can and i'm going to school and i'm getting out of school and i'm going playing disc golf and i'm catching rides and stuff like that <laughs> yeah that's awesome. And I think something that's really interesting about that was that seven stroke victory that, mm-hmm. I don't know, in my opinion, really turned the corner because, you know, as you start to get out of high school, it's like, okay, am I going to go play? Am I going to go play disc golf? Am I going to go to college? Or am I going to do both? Like, what am I going to do? So, you know, let's, I guess, kind of catch up to today. Now, obviously you're on tour and doing pretty dang well in my opinion in my opinion i at least here in the states i would have you as the number three disc mania guy behind simon and eagle that's my personal opinion um i believe that especially at your age and the talent right now you have an opportunity to be very good over the next 10 years as disc golf continues to excel and really be one of those top 20 guys in the sport right now so i guess what was it like for your first tournament, the first, I guess, pro tour tournament that you were at, you know, going up against those guys like Simon, like Eagle, like Paul, um, all those different like guys who are like, I am here. And now you're here. Kind of take me through your mentality during that. How'd that feel? Did that, I guess, yeah. adrenaline make you want to continue to go do that? So my first pro tour tournament I ever played was the Vibraman in Massachusetts, Maple Hill, and it was in August 2017. 
2017 was my breakout year is what I would say, because I started out 2017 still in AM1 and I won a bunch of AM1 tournaments, but then I eventually grew on to move up to MPO, but I did play uh, the junior world championships that year. So even though I was playing MPO, I was not cashing. And then when I went to junior worlds in July, I was satisfied with my finish. I got third place and I was very happy about it. So I was like, I'm going to start making money. <laughs> and once I got back, that was shortly before the Vibram Open. And I, I definitely remember the nerves, you know, just like whole, obviously hole one at Maple Hill. That's no joke of a first shot for the year disc golf pro tour event. And yeah, I don't know. I just kind of just rode the wave and just felt nerves and let them ride and I was definitely not playing up to exactly how I knew I could play, but I wasn't expecting myself to, to excel. You know, I was just happy to be playing in the tournament. I remember uh, just Maple Hill as a, as an experience for me. I love to follow. I love to watch and I love to just like be able to be around my favorite pros. I remember talking to my dad saying, I don't even know if I want to play this tournament because I love to watch so much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I want to miss out on that experience. But thankfully, I was able to play decent enough that I just played it like mid-morning and then I'd catch up to my favorite pros in the afternoon. But that weekend alone was probably, I don't know, it was just kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm playing a pro tour even though I know I probably shouldn't, but like it was a good experience. I never, I didn't give it too much thought for sure, but that was actually the the week that I met Simon and because that was his first time at Maple Hill was 2017. And I didn't really think too much of it back then, but that was also the week that I met Eagle and Eagle was one of the people that I love to watch uh, yeah. coming down to 2017 all year, knowing he was going to come to Maple Hill. But I don't know, the nerves never really like, I, I never really compared myself to the, to the pros. I just kind of compared myself to m myself. And then mm -hmm. and like, I was just having fun and I, I wanted to play tournaments. So I just, that was just what it was going to be like. Did but playing, I didn't really start to – oh, you, go, you can go ahead. So I was going to say, did playing with some of those pros um, and, like, talking to them, you said that's when you met Simon, you met Eagle, did kind of talking to them and seeing, like, this is – because at this point, were they doing this kind of full-time? Uh, yes, 100%. And I remember I actually missed the cut. This was back in when Maple Hill still had a cut after three rounds. So after the cut, uh, I got to caddy for Ricky on Sunday, and Ricky ended up winning the tournament that weekend. And I, I don't know if we got Ricky, but Ricky doesn't usually have a caddy. Yeah. And it was raining. So he asked me to caddy for him because he had a grip bag full of towels, and then I was also pulling the cart, and then I had two umbrellas. So I was on, like, full-time caddy duty. So after that, I kind of, like, you know, I, I felt like I was kind of fitting in with the pros, not as a competitor, but just mm -hmm. as a friend. So after that, the end of 2017 and going into 2018 was when I kind of started to actually become a threat in MPO. Uh, the first time I ever traveled for a tour event besides Junior Worlds, I went to Vegas with a couple of my buddies from Massachusetts and I played AM1. I didn't, I didn't think I should or shouldn't. It was just the fact that I was uh, funding myself completely for the weekend, and it was $75 cheaper to play M1 than it was MPO. And I, I actually shot my first ever 1,000-rated round in that tournament at, during round one of the Las Vegas Challenge. Wow. 
And mm. I didn't win in the tournament, but it was it was close. I led the tournament for three rounds, and I, I lost on a bad hole in the final round. But after that, I didn't play another AM1 after that. I knew I belonged in an MPO. And I got my first PDGA win in the MPO in uh, May 2017. Or no, 2018. I got back-to-back C-tier wins on a Saturday, Sunday. And then from there, I graduated high school. And as soon as I graduated at the end of June, I flew out to the Majestic with my buddy Marky, and I got my first ever pro cash at a tournament on tour. And I remember that was kind of just like me, like being able to just back myself, whether my stepdad or my mom or whatever would say like, oh, why aren't you working? Why aren't you doing this? Yeah. I was just like, look at me, I made money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I definitely had some trouble. So like I said, I work with my dad. My dad's a plumber. He owns his own business. And I finished out high school on co-op. So I would, I went to a technical school for plumbing. So okay. my path was kind of just out there and I just needed to find it. Whether I just did plumbing with my dad or whether I, I don't even know. And never in my mind did I ever have college in my intentions whatsoever. There was just, it was just never there. It never made sense for me. So finishing up high school, I ended up working full-time with my dad over the summer in 2018. But then at the end of the summer was when the Pro Tour comes around to the Northeast. So I went from Vacation Land Open in Maine, which is an A-tier. Then we went Maple Hill Open. Then Nantucket Open, which is, I don't know if you've ever heard of Nantucket. It's like a disc golf Pro Tour-sized B-tier. Okay. It's a one-day B-tier that's... $10,000 added cash with a bunch of <laughs> wow. touring pros. Wow. The weekend that was the world championships in Smuggler's Notch, Vermont. Mm-hmm. And that was the best tournament of my career. I, I placed 28th place at my first ever pro world championships. And I shot a 1067 rated round in round three. And I was one stroke off the hot round. Yeah. And the only two people that beat me, tournament for that day was josh anthon and matt orham and when i came home from that trip actually after that i went to uh prince Edward island for the canadian nationals and made some more money at that a tier and after that trip i i remember i never got bothered by my stepdad or anything for not working or not doing yeah. that because i knew that i was out there making money mm-hmm Mm-hmm. And like I said, it was never like a clear path. It was just I knew that that's what I was doing because that's what I wanted to do. It's not like I had like a, a vision or I had a intention or a goal. It was just I was playing the tournaments that I wanted to play, and that's all I knew I was doing. Yeah. So I guess I, a question that I have, or maybe something that we can talk about a little bit more, is you know you've started to cash at these events, mm-hmm. making some money. What? I, I guess I guess the question, just to be blunt, is is that yeah. money enough to actually survive? Is the money that is in disc golf right now enough to genuinely be a pro disc golfer? Genuinely, like this is my profession. This is something that yeah. you know. Let's say someone like myself or a listener who's like 15, 16, something like that. If they're like, you know what, I am gonna go pro. I'm gonna get good enough to where I can mm-hmm. go pro. At the end of the day, is it honestly worth it with the amount of di- with the amount of money that's in disc golf right now? Honestly, it. I mean, you'll hear different answers from everybody. You could hear, uh, "Oh yeah, you can do it as long as you do well enough." You can hear, uh, "Oh no way, you have to be Paul Macbeth to do that." Yeah. Like you'll get all different opinions, and everybody thinks they know their crap. But like 
to, to me, honestly, it's just confidence. And at the start of my traveling, I was not confident enough to travel for more than two weeks at a time. Because yeah. if I didn't make money in those two weeks, mm -hmm. then I was like, if I was planning for more weeks after those two weeks of not making money, I don't know what I would do. And I don't have my car on tour with me. I would fly to these events and I would get rides for my friends to and from. And I would just go for two weeks. I'd go for back-to-back -back events, ones that I'd pick out and I'd want to play. And then I'd yeah. fly home. And then a couple, and then a month later, I'd do the same thing. And then I would do this, like, I'd just do that over and over. It actually wasn't until this, this year, in the, after the quarantine, when we played Dynamic Dis Open and the Preserve. I didn't even cash at the Preserve. But I only planned for, to play those two events. Simon and I drove out to Kansas, and then we were going to drive back to Massachusetts after the preserve. And then Sunday afternoon, it was actually right after the last putt was tapped in on hole 18, we were, uh, we were swimming in the Mississippi River. And he just looked over at me, and he was like, do you want to stay on tour? And I was just like, how? And he's like, well, I'm sure if you find somebody with a car – then you can just stay on tour and then we'll pick things back up after D glow in Michigan. And I just kind of thought about it and I was like, well, I mean, yeah, I could sign up for silver cup and I could sign up for this event. And like, I, I definitely could, like I'll, I'll talk and I, I figured out everything I need to do. And I played silver cup the next weekend. And then the weekend after silver cup, I won my biggest tournament at that point in Minnesota, the twin town throwdown for my first ever four digit cash. And for me, it was just knowing that if I just show up and play, I can, I can make it. So I guess all I'm saying is that if you're confident enough to know that if you just go out there and shoot, okay, and you feel like you can still be in the cash, that's where I'm at. So I, mm -hmm. whether I'm comfortable on money, like it's not like, yeah, nobody, not everybody's Paul McBeth. That's the way yeah. it is. If you are confident enough that you know that you can have a mediocre day and still be in the cut, then that is where your line would be for if you can make it or not. And I feel like I am very close to finally making it there. And I mean, I guess people have, you have to think about people's priorities. Like yep. you talked about, since you discovered this, how much this made you happy. This is mm -hmm. the only thing that you wanted to do. You found that you were just thinking about this. You wanted to be out playing disc golf. So to you, I feel like you're kind of in a place right now where you, if you're making enough money to keep going and to live this life where you're content, you're happy, that's good. But if you're someone that is ambitious and wants to be, I guess, rich and make a lot of money really quickly and be yeah. at the Paul McBeth level, oh, yeah. I feel like you're going to be really frustrated and you're going to be maybe depressed because you're going to be turning around, spending money, and if you're not winning, you're not going to see it. And so I think it depends on the person and whether it's like the lifestyle that you're going to be able to do or not. I definitely think it has a lot to do with self pressure. You cannot, I, I've seen a lot of guys out there on tour that are, are out there saying, I'm, I'm going to miss cash. I don't know where I'm going to, I don't know what I'm going to eat next week. You know what I mean? Yeah. If, you, mm -hmm. if you find yourself in that mindset, that is, that's a bad place to be. Like you, you cannot be in your tournament round thinking if I keep playing, like if I throw my disc into this tree, I'm going to miss the cash. And that is like a bad situation. Like you just, you need to stay in the mindset of I'm just going to go and play my best. And if I make my money, I make my money. And then if you don't make your money, you're okay for the week. Just make money the next week. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A big person that 
um, somebody that really made, uh, I don't know, uh, in, in, I don't even know, a note in my mind was Nate Perkins. Nate Perkins came up to me after the Memorial Championship this year because I had played Wintertime Open in L.A. and then the Las Vegas Challenge and then the Memorial Championship in Arizona. And that's all I scheduled for. I was flying home after the Memorial. And after the tournament, I had cashed at all three. And he asked me, oh, like, I'll see you in Texas because everybody was headed to Waco. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, I'm going home. And yeah. he's like, dude, like, you can't. He's like, you, you can't. Like, he's like, you got to go after it. You got to go get it. And I was like, well, if I came out here planning for those events and I didn't cash at these events, I wouldn't be able mm -hmm. to sustain. He's like, yeah, but guess what? There's always a tournament the next weekend. You go and make money the next week. Yeah. He's like, there is, the best thing about disc golf is that there is no – there is no, oh, I'm done, and I, it's time to go home. It's, it's you always have that second chance. And I just remember his, his confidence and my ability really stuck in my mind, and it, it definitely hit deep for me. And I, I do think about it a lot because I didn't even consider playing Waco because I had already played those two events, and I just – I don't know. So if I would have had the confidence in myself, to just go, yeah, I'm just going to go do it and I'm going to make money at these events. I probably could have. Obviously, things got flipped when COVID went, but because that was the, obviously Waco was the last event before that. But after that conversation that I had with Nate Perkins, he was telling me, like, he's like, you, you can't be putting yourself against these numbers and saying, like, oh, you're only going to be able to compete against these number of players. He's like, you have this capability. You just need to find it and you just need to go out there and do it. And then that'll, that'll take you on your, on your ride. Yeah. And that is just something that I think a lot of people might need to hear. And that is, like I said, it's all confidence. So now I know that I'm at the point that if I just keep making tournaments or going to play tournaments, I know that there's money to be had. But at the same time, I am one of the people that I'm not rich and I'm not like rolling in money and I don't have a big fat bank account, but I am content where I'm at and I'm just right. okay how I'm living life and I'm just kind of riding the wave. Which I think is really interesting and we're not going to get into it on this podcast, but brings up the further discussion of would you rather be rich and maybe not love what you do or would you rather love what you do and not be rich? That is a, I think that's a very top level argument, debate, whatever you want to call it that I, I we're not going to get into, but clearly those words definitely hit home with me. I think it hits home with a ton of different listeners and, really honestly inspirational and honestly moving because it really does put things back into perspective about what disc golf is, what it should mean, you know, what these guys also on tour are having to deal with on a day-to-day week-to-week kind of basis. And, you know, I know, I know you're super busy and I, I know you got some food coming, so we don't want to hold you for too much longer. So I got one more question before we get into the ACE round and Let's talk a little bit about your sponsorship with Discmania. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I can't remember if it was Simon's YouTube video or maybe it was your own YouTube video. Um, the reveal was incredible. First it off, did you have any idea? Uh, shout out to Simon for hitting 100K on YouTube. That's incredible for the sport and himself. Yeah. A, did you know what was happening? And B, 
talk about that moment, how it feels. And then I guess, see, what does that sponsorship mean? Is it, Hey, I just got a bunch of discs coming. Is it, Hey, I have a supplemental income that's going to be coming as well. And some discs, you know, to talk a little bit about that, just so, you know, maybe those at home who potentially are good enough to get sponsored, have an idea of what a actual sponsorship looks like. So uh, in the whole plan for our trip of the dynamic disc open to the preserve, Simon had planned for like, Hey, he asked me, do you like Avery only lives two hours away. Do you want to drive down and we can spend a day at the lodge, which is the course at Avery's house and we can make a vlog. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. We can hang out. And he was like, yeah. And we can, you know, talk, talk some dismania stuff with him. And it was just like, yeah, cool. Like it's all opportunity, nothing, nothing mm-hmm. anything but opportunity. And I was like, yeah, sure. I played with Avery before he knows who I am. And like, I, I'm not a stranger to him. That's all I know. And uh, at this point, I was just, I, w- I didn't want to expect anything. So we're driving from Emporia down to Oklahoma. And I knew that that's why we were going. Like, that's like, we're, we're going and we're going to talk to Avery to see if we can get me on the team. But there was no guarantee and I didn't want to get my hopes up. And definitely playing that round, I was, I was definitely feeling it, you know, a little nervous, like trying to, trying to make sure I'm, I'm being a little impressive and that's all that stuff. But I'm glad to say that it didn't really matter because afterwards we were just hanging out, just standing around, you know, after the round and it was dark out and we were just standing there and we had some leftover pizza. So I was eating some pizza and then he's just looking at me and he's like, Casey, why don't you sit down? And I was like, here we go. Like I, I knew it right there. Like there was no, absolutely no question about it. And I was like, all right, here it is. Like, and then he handed me the paper and it was just kind of like, I don't know. I could, it was, it was a different moment for me because I could like Simon was almost as happy as I was because it was like, we, we finally did it. You know what I mean? It wasn't just yeah. whole team effort. I mean, all, all, all credit to Simon. I feel like I wouldn't be where I am without him, of course. But uh, it's been a, just a crazy ride, and I'm really happy that he was there. And we had the—I didn't even know he was recording. I did see the camera set up, but did I know that that record button was going? Absolutely not. But the way I was feeling was just more so, just like accomplished and relieved. And I don't know if you heard the video, but <laughs> what I said was finally. Yep. And <laughs> in, the, in the context of the video, it wasn't finally to Dismania it was kind of finally to myself you made because it because yeah. as I'm in the scene and making all these moves on tour and at local tournaments, the only thing that I've heard since basically since 2018 or 17 is from everybody around me is how are you not sponsored? How have you not gotten this? And how have you not gotten that? And I'm like, dude, I don't know. I'm just being me. And if somebody wants to call me, my, my phone's waiting. That's all yeah. it was. Mm-hmm. It's like, Everybody else around me was like, how is it possible that you are not sponsored, but so-and-so is, you know what I mean? Just anybody. And I was just like, I'm just convinced it, it, it's not, it's not for me. You know, I'm just, I'm just not going to get sponsored. So the accomplishment for me, that was more so what it was, was just like that, that, that chip on my shoulder that I've been waiting for. Nice. Nice. That's awesome. And then, so I guess if you want to, of course you don't have to, if you want to go into quick detail about, you know, what does a sponsorship actually look like in disc golf? Is it getting a fat stack of discs every couple of months to try out? Is it, you know, an underlying cash amount, you know, what, what does that actually look like? So for me, I mean, I, I never, 
I never wanted the sponsorship for the plastic. I never wanted it for anything like I, I really didn't want it for anything like selfishness at all. Mm -hmm. The only thing that I ever wanted the sponsorship for more so just like the recognition and just like a, a representation and more so the camaraderie. Like I got on the team at the week of DDO and like people who are on the team from Team Dismania who like I've never really even had a conversation with would come up to me and be like, hey, man, like congrats on being on the team. Like that's awesome. Like well, we're glad to have you. And I remember Nate Perkins after that weekend, I told him all about what I told you about how he lot to me, what he said and how I wanted to go after it and just be the best yeah. I could be. He, he, he had me come up to his van and just be like, dude, like you just, just help yourself. Any discs you need, anything like we're, we're teammates, I'll hook you up. And that is it for me. Like, obviously like, yeah, I can order a disc and I can say like, I want this color and they, they can send it mm -hmm. to me. Like, that's cool. But the, the disc is just kind of a bonus for me. It's more just the, when I, when I play well and I get a post that has my name on it and says, congrats to our players. And I'm on that list. That's what it means to me. Nice. Nice. That's awesome. And I think that also means that a you're in it for the right reasons. That's what matters. It's about the team. It's about, you know, growing the yep. sport. And I really do think you have an awesome head on your shoulders. Uh, Horatio, are you ready to get into this ACE round? Yeah. Just before we get into it real quick, just, um, what does your dad say? I mean, you you guys started together. What does he think about you being sponsored? Like you being on the road? What's he? My dad is blown out of his mind. He he is beside himself a hundred percent of the day, and he he just can't believe it. Every every day, he just can't stop telling me how proud he is of me and how happy he is. And my stepmom as well. They they come out and watch as many tournaments as they can. They drove down to Pennsylvania a couple months ago to watch me in the Lost Valley Open and I was on camera and stuff and they, they just love it. They can't get enough of my, my succession and my just passion. And it was really special for me because at the greater Hartford open, my uh, most recent eight tier win this past August, yeah. they got to be there in the final round when I made the big comeback and then won in the playoff. That's, and it was—it's—it's—it's it's, it's something really special. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm sure it helps a lot, especially for this kind of career, the kind of lifestyle you're living, to have that support back home, to have your family behind you. Yep. My mom can't stop posting on Facebook too. They're—they're they're just yeah. really proud, and it just—it just makes you feel really good. Nice. That's, that's awesome. Really cool, Love to hear that. Uh, let's get into the ACE round questions. If you're new to the show, the ACE round questions are the same five questions that we want to ask every single person we interview. If you haven't listened to any other episode, make sure you go listen to some of the other episodes and you'll see how Casey's answers potentially could differ from other folks' answers. So definitely go and check out those. Let's start here with the first question. You are taking a buddy to buy their first set of discs. What is the one putter, one mid, and one driver that you would tell them to uh, buy when they're just starting out okay first off d-line p2 can't go wrong with the d-line p2 and the next one is a favorite personal favorite of mine the d-line md if you haven't checked out a d-line md dead straight neutral flying i bag one i jump putt with it i throw it it's just an all-around disc that you can play one disc round and that's basically the only thing you can need and a driver i would say eh, Probably an FD. This is nice. a very neutral as well. Fairway driver. You can throw it straight. It's got no beef to it. And if you get a nice lightweight one for somebody brand new, they could work it in. And forehand, yeah. backhand, you name it. 
Nice. Cool. Yeah, I know we got a mystery box from Discmania. We were able to get one. And uh, there was a P2 in there, which I loved. I lost somewhere. I think someone just picked it up, but I love that putter. And nice. the FD3, the Crush Boys, with a really cool stamp yep. on it. That's nice. Sweet. Yeah. Yep. All right. Question number two. The favorite course you have played and the favorite or the number one course you would love to play? Favorite course I have played is a special place in my heart is uh, Fox Run Meadows at Smugs. That's where I shot my personal best round of my career at the World Championships. It's a beautiful course, amazing views, and just an amazing piece of property. Yeah. Nice. And the course that I haven't played that I would love to play has to be Milo MacGyver in uh, Oregon, Beaver State Fling. I was supposed to go out there this year for for the Beaver State Fling this year until it got canceled, but hopefully next year. Nice. That's awesome. Our third question is, what is the one tip that you would give yourself or, you know, maybe someone who's just starting out or maybe you can go back to yourself when you first kind of started taking disc golf seriously. What would be the number one tip that you would give yourself? Hmm. I would say just don't limit yourself to one shot. Don't be afraid to to have – a bunch of different shots, and if, and if it's a weird shot and that's your shot and you like it, that's not a problem. My shot when I started out was a big flex forehand. I mean, I was throwing forehand off the tee, but approach shots can I, – I am exclusively forehand approach. So for me, I would say that just because somebody might be telling you throw it this way, but you want to throw it your own way, yeah. Don't don't be afraid to let your way be – the way that you like to throw it and, and not be, you know, stereotypical way to throw or properness or anything like that. Yeah. Cause I was going to say you have, you have a very interesting, maybe it's cause you played baseball, but I would say you have a very interesting driving form. I would mm-hmm. say like, I'll see on YouTube, people will comment. Uh, you have like pretty crazy wind up and it's pretty, it's different, but it works for you. And yeah, my backhand, my backhand is something very unique. Uh, I don't really know how it developed it. I, I have a bunch of videos of me over time developing this different way of throwing and I've never once intended to throw in a specific way. So it's kind of a interesting development, but my forehand, this is actually something that I've recently found. That's very interesting. I found that my forehand power, like my power shot is muscle memory from a slap shot in hockey. I wind up my forehand and I find that my hands are in the exact same spot as if I was winding up a slap shot with a hockey stick. Yeah. And that, that's something pretty interesting to me, but yeah, I, I know exactly what you're saying with the, yeah, the YouTube comments about my yeah. back. And all I say is if it works, if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It, it looks really cool. So <laughs> just keep doing it. All right. Next question. Favorite memory playing disc golf. Oof. I know one for sure. It is, uh, we played a triples tournament, me and my buddy Abel and Cam, in December 2016. It was a blizzard, and it was probably close to a foot of snow and still coming down the entire day. And I, triples tournaments aren't very common around like, yeah. our area. So you get one shot at a good triples tournament, you get two of your buddies, and you go have some fun. We didn't expect this to be a snowstorm, 
But we had a battle the whole day with the guys we were playing with, and it comes down to the final round, last hole, and this is uphill, tough par three. And the tournament central is right behind the tee pad. They told us, like, oh, there's a playoff because we were tied with the group that we were on the card with, and there was already a group that came in with the same score we're at. And they're they're all like, oh, playoff, playoff. And we're like, hey, we're not done with this hole. He's like, oh, nobody's birdie in this hole. So we go up and it's it's still snowing. My buddy Cam throws a nice shot, a hyzer, probably 200 feet short of the basket. And he walks up and lays it up. And I step up and threw it in from 200 feet away. And we won the tournament on a walk-off throw. And then we we did a big bear hug snow pile. Like he he wiped me out and we all fell in the snow and – it was a pretty unreal moment. That's something that I'll remember forever. Wow, that's awesome. That's a good and one. I know Horatio and any of those who follow us on Instagram, you can do so at Chain Clinkers. If you saw our story, what was it? last Sunday, maybe two Sundays ago by the time uh, this podcast drops, we decided it was a good idea to play in the rain for the first time. And what turned out to be just a light little little drizzle really turned into a monsoon. Oh, and no. I mean, I don't think there was a single part of my body that was not wet. Uh, we ended up having to call it after like 11 holes, walked half a mile on the highway to try to get to our ride sooner because it was just raining so hard. Um, so definitely could not imagine playing in the snow. Uh, I, I mean, rain is something else, but the, besides temperature, I'll take snow over rain all day long. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely something I, I imagine we will be doing this winter for sure. So let's get you out of here on this last question. What is your goal moving forward in disc golf? Hmm. My goal. <laughs> Long term? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that, that's perfect. My goal in disc golf is just to not be like – I don't know how to explain it, but like not just a part of the feature that like it's Simon and his friend, Casey, I want it to be, you know, Simon and Casey. Yeah. That is just it. And I feel like I have started and put myself on a good track and I know I have a lot of people that back me up and a lot of people that are supporting me all the time and I appreciate it, but I am just working on climbing that ladder and making a bigger name for myself and, just hoping to inspire some people to pick up some discs and really just fall in love with the game. That's all. I mean, I think you're almost kind of getting there. Last tournament in Maine, was it? You and Simon were tied. Yeah, we so, were tied. Yeah. So the trainee is uh, almost surpassing the teacher. So oh my. I think as, it'll, it'll get interesting. As soon as I can look at that and I see Simon playing his A game and I'm tied with him, then we're there. You know what I yeah. mean? might have had a couple tough tough shots that weekend but once i see simon at his a game and i'm matching him shot for shot that's that's what i'm looking for right there nice that's awesome i know we're definitely behind you i know we definitely uh see you in that light definitely why we wanted to have you on we think you're one of those up-and-coming guys who i like i said earlier man i really do think that you have a very bright future in this sport and we'll find a ton of success in this sport and, you know, being able to talk to you, seeing, you know, the kind of person you are, uh, I just further cement my earlier opinion. So really do appreciate you coming on the podcast. We really do appreciate talking to you and your time. Uh, we know this was a little bit longer than we initially intended for it to be, but definitely appreciate your willingness to come on, willingness to talk to us. Uh, so we do appreciate you for doing all that. Do you have any final words you want to say or any sponsors you want to thank or anything like that before we get out of here? 
Yeah, I can thank my sponsors. Uh, I'd like to thank Dismania, Birdie Disc Golf Supply, Wander Disc Golf, NutriShop, and Disc Golf 978. And I'd just like to say thanks for having me on. Uh, disc Golf is my everything. It's my life, my passion. It's what I want to do all the time, and I just I could talk about it all the time, man. So I just appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you for listening to the Chain Clankers podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Chain Clankers and hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to us from so you never miss another episode.